Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. Well, the weather outside is frightful. <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was 20 below zero. What is that in, in Celsius? Um, really fucking cold, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cold. Minus 30 in parts of, uh, you know, Central America. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not how you say it. <laughs> I always, <laughs> always crack myself up to talking about places like, uh, uh, oh, Ohio and oh, I don't know, Iowa. <laughs> there goes that segue because uh, that's supposed to be like the Middle East. But if you say the Middle East, people think, oh, fucking Iraq, you know, <laughs> but not uh, it's it's the Midwest. It, it's weird. It's the Midwest unless it's the East Coast. So even though a place like Ohio, which is I mean, dude, it's it's right there. It's I mean, it's right next to Pennsylvania, which is right next to New York, basically. Uh, but yes, very cold snowing right now in my neighborhood and supposed to snow all day. So I'm probably going to hang myself in the shower before I go to work because it's just going to be brutal. But uh, how, how are you doing, man? What's what is it pretty t- typical, mild, rainy weather over there in the Uke? Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty good here. There's no rain at the moment, but it's pretty cold. It's pretty brisk. And to be fair, I'm kind of enjoying it. You know, we've got clear skies, no rain. And I don't mind a little bit of the cold. Maybe it's my Canadian blood. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty reasonable here. According to my weather search, 37 degrees Fahrenheit in London right now, three degrees Celsius, which I, I feel like, I don't know when it's negative 30 in North Dakota, I feel like three degrees, like Londoners claiming that it's three degrees is cheating. Like not it's 37. You're trying to be cool. Make it seem like it's colder than it actually is. But yesterday (laughs) when I was at work, the sun was shining. And, you know, it was that, like, uh, no clear skies, beautiful weather, and then just absolutely freezing cold. But I'm in my truck with the heater on and the sun beating in through the windows. And I'm like, I have too many layers on. Like, what what am I going to do? Slow down, turn the heaters off, open the windows, and just try to stay balanced. Because, dude, once you start sweating... Inside all of your layers. Oh, yeah. It's, it's over, bro. It's fucking your fucking over. back starts getting sticky. Oh, it's over. It's the worst. <laughs> the absolute worst. So you got to like yeah. shut it down, get out, try to cool <laughs> off. Not fun. So it's going to be that today with nonstop snow. And I thought it was really interesting because so there's the, the, the primary season finally kicked off. Uh, for the the Republican side, and it's it. The immediate cons- conspiracy that jumps to mind is 
so in in Iowa, it's weird, and I don't know. I mean, it kind of. I don't know if I'm a bad American for not knowing, but mm. the primary voting system in Iowa is weird. Everybody has to show up, and they like cast their vote in person with their voice, and then whoever is like leading the caucus like writes it down, and then it goes by county. And I was just thinking to myself. The establishment, of course, as it has been and probably will always be, is very anti-Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's got his challengers in Ron DeSantis, who took second place in the caucuses, but still like 30 points behind. I think uh, Trump won Iowa with 51% of the, the That's Republic. That's crazy. Ron, the, his, the next closest challenger was Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, who got 23%. And then Nikki Haley, who is the establishment pick. Like, she was the ambassador to the UN and uh, appointed by Trump, strangely enough. And, she, and she's just, she says all the right things. She's a war hawk. She's uh, pro-immigration, and I mean, she herself is, I, I listened to uh, Lo, Laura Loomer, who's just a nightmare in, in a, a good way, potentially, because she's very pro-Trump, but I, uh, I don't know, I, I feel bad for her, because she's just such a fucking psycho, I think she's gonna die alone. Unfortunately, I'm sure she's a lovely person, but, but the shit that she puts out there when when it comes to especially people like Ron DeSantis, who because she lives in Florida, right? This Laura Loomer person. Right. And uh, Ron DeSantis got super dragged because he uh, apparently there's like a state of emergency in Florida because there's such terrible flooding right before these Iowa caucuses kick off. So Ron DeSantis goes down to Florida for half a day, gives a speech, declares this state of emergency, then jumps back on the airplane to return to Iowa for this caucus while they're looking at crazy sub-zero temperatures and massive snowstorm. And I'm thinking, gee, with all the support that Donald Trump has and how much vitriol the establishment has for him and how much favor they would love they would love to give their favor to Ron DeSantis they would love to give it to Nikki Haley just not Donald Trump and I thought show me tell, tell me that the government controls the weather without telling me when it's magically crazy sub-zero temperatures blizzard in Iowa and all the voters have to show up in person to cast their vote but they did. They showed up, and I don't know if it was, you know, what the turnout was in terms of the usual. But nobody was really surprised, I don't think, that Trump was dominant. And he'll continue to be dominant. I'm, I'm just a little bit concerned about the states that do vote by mail, you know, or universal vote by mail. Like, all all of that kind of thing. I think I just, mm. I came across, uh, I came across an article 
I didn't drop it into the show notes, but I have it on my phone. Something about something that Putin said about, uh, here it is. I won't get too deep into it because it's from Yahoo News, which is. Oh, God. To- yeah, it's Yahoo News is total intelligence, like propaganda mouthpiece. Like CIA and former CIA operatives all, all through there. And then on top of that, it's also something that Vladimir Putin said. But the headline is, oh, it, it looks like it's actually piggybacked from Reuters. Putin says past. Yeah, that, that's, that's Yahoo all over. Putin says past U.S. elections were rigged. Russian President Vladimir Putin running for a new six-year term in an election that his opponents say is a parody of democracy, said on Tuesday that past U.S. elections had been rigged by postal voting. Quote, in the United States... Oh, should I do it in Russian? In the United States, the previous elections were falsified (laughs) through postal voting. (laughs) They bought ballots for $10, filled them out, and and (laughs) threw them into mailboxes without any supervision from observers, and that's it. It sounds like... Uh, old Vladdy just watched Dinesh D'Souza's documentary 2000 Mules which I have on loan from a friend of mine and still haven't watched primarily be, uh, because I'm trying to get my wife to watch it with me and she's very like her perspective on you know my conspiracy theories and then also like the reality of the terrible shit that's happening in the country it's kind of like, uh, I don't want to know. It's like that. I don't know if you have this in the UK, but we have like this system where you can get online and look to see the registered sex offenders that live oh, around you. That. Yeah, we have that. In your neighborhood. My wife's like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to know. I don't want to know about the predators in my midst. But it's getting crazy with all the immigration and stuff because, like, so there was this sensation several months ago because all of these immigrants are coming across the southern border, some of them coming through legally, most of them coming through illegally, just through gaps in the fence, and they're being trafficked or smuggled, whatever you like, which, whichever term you prefer. I guess the distinction is... If you are willingly trafficking humans, or if, if the humans that you're trafficking are going with you willingly, then it's considered human smuggling. And if they're being trafficked, well, then it's against their will. So smuggled, trafficked, you know, who, who's to say? But this, like the governor of Texas, for example, was loading them all on chartered buses and sending them to, you know, New York and Chicago and, and you know, Minneapolis and other places that claim to be sanctuary cities. And this whole sanctuary city thing, it came because, you know, Donald Trump was sort of, I, I don't know that you would say he was anti-immigration, but he was definitely pro-legal immigration. So these blue cities and states being Democrat, just said, oh, if it's anything that Donald Trump wants, we're against it. Even if it's quite clearly a net positive for the people of the state, it's just becoming increasingly more and more obvious that the ones that are supposed to be operating in good faith on our behalf Mm -hmm. haven't 
really been doing that. Yeah, it's really interesting that like a local constituency would find it a good idea to put things in place where illegal immigrants can uh, work and live completely undocumented. That seems so strange. In the UK, if a local council decided not to do that, they would be brought up on charges by the government and they would be overtaken, put into special measures immediately. Um, that is something that would not even be a consideration here. Well, and it, it's one of the things that kind of showcases how absolutely spineless the Republican Party in the country is. I mean, they, they're not even impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas, the, the secretary responsible for the security of the southern border. They ha- they've barely begun impeachment proceedings for for Biden himself. And there's so much more like a lot of people are, you know, they're they're very bullish on impeaching. Im- impeach this guy, Im- you know, impeach Mayorkas, impeach Anthony Blinken, impeach Joe Biden, get rid of all of them. Okay, that's great. Like, yeah, I'm on board. We should get rid of all of them. But you're going to waste all of your time. Yeah, I agree. With this impeach with these impeachment proceedings when there are much more important things. Yeah, I agree. Because, like, you know, what kind of validity do, do those impeachments have? I mean, they impeached Trump. Twice. Um, but, of course, you know, nothing happened, right? Yeah, because the, the Senate was controlled by Republicans at the time. Exactly. Yeah. And so he was, you know, acquitted or, or found not guilty or whatever the appropriate terminology for those yeah. Senate proceedings is. It's going to be the same thing. On the flip side, if the Republican-controlled House decides to impeach the Democrat Joe Biden, the Democrat-controlled Senate is going to say, oh, no, he's, he's not guilty. Because strangely enough, and this is just like, there's been all the talk in the news about the Republican candidates. You know, Nikki Haley, she's the, the globalist choice. And, and she could really actually do some damage if she decided, oh, I'm going to run independent. And there's all of this sensation around these candidates who are widely resisted by the establishment like they want to take Trump off the ballot that that whole effort has kind of lost steam and there was even uh in the news early last week um one of Biden's appointees for the Department of Homeland Security was sort of stealth edited off the DHS website because he also runs uh, a nonprofit, I think it's a 501c3, that is paying lawyers to wage lawfare against Donald Trump to get him taken off the ballots in these places. Well, he got caught, so now it's, be- it's becoming clearly a partisan effort of, you know, from the Biden regime to try to keep his primary political opponent off the ballot in as many states as they they can accomplish. But that's running out of steam. um, Yeah. Largely because it's, I mean, it's outrageous. And I really think it's all just meant to spark civil conflict to get some people, you know, going crazy, doing stupid shit, getting violent and, and getting themselves arrested. But the most violence that's happened so far actually just happened a few days ago at the white house in the form of, pro-Palestinian protests 
attended by thousands of protesters. And the, the language used in the article is really kind of disturbing because, well, first of all, I search out, you know, what White House, I mean, I don't even remember, White House violence uh, from January 13th, which is when it, it took place, over the 13th and the 14th. All, the only articles that pop up are Jan- January 6th, insurrection. Got to scroll, 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 scroll. And then I find from the New York Post, pro-Palestinian protesters chant, fuck Joe Biden, damage fence outside White House. And I don't, to you, 404, this might not be very impactful, but to the listeners that are familiar with the reporting that happened regarding the January 6th protest, it's really interesting to see the difference in rhetoric from, I mean, the, the New York Post, they're, they're a Rupert Murdoch, you know, the owner of Fox News. They're, the New York Post is a Rupert Murdoch product. But let's just read a little bit. A swarm of, pro, a swarm of pro-Palestinian supporters shouted, fuck Joe, I mean, it doesn't actually say fuck Joe Biden. I'm filling that in for you. You're welcome. Slogans as they nearly, nearly ripped down a reinforced fence outside the White House during a charged protest Saturday night. Non-essential personnel were evacuated from the area as a precaution as the aggressive demonstration ramped up, the Secret Service confirmed. So very, I mean, I don't know if you're picking this up, but for me, it's like very Mm -hmm. subdued language. Mm Mm-hmm. Video shows the crowd shaking the fence so viciously that a section of it became partially dislodged while a horde of Secret Service police pushed back to keep the ralliers from entering the grounds. Some protesters hurled water bottles and the sticks broken off their Palestinian flags at the officers while others tried to climb the the fence. Break it down. You support the murder of children, the protesters screamed. The anti-scale fencing sustained some, quote, temporary damage. Mm. But the actual White House fence and adjacent buildings were left untouched. Quote, the issues were promptly repaired on site by U.S. Secret Service support teams, said Lieutenant Paul Mayher. Quote, as a precaution, some members of the media and staff in proximity to Pennsylvania Avenue were temporarily relocated while the issue was being addressed. And this is the kicker. No arrests were made. No arrests. There you have it. So while the DOJ is ramping up their efforts <laughs> against January 6th protesters from three years ago, following them as they get on the airplanes, arresting them if they were even in proximity to a cell tower that was pinged to, you know, identify their location. A massive Dude, no, protest. No arrest is fucking crazy. If they did that at number 10 Downing Street, I mean, I, I, I don't think they'd even get as far as banging on the fence, mate. Well, shit, they just, been, I they mean, would have been pushed back and thrown into vans. See you later. Turn it from a pro-Palestine protest into a pro-Israel protest. And how different would the response be from, from the United States Department of Justice? But that's a weird, I mean, like, that's not even a really a good comparison because 
the wedge driven through the population due to the Israel Gaza mm. mm-hmm. conflict has been really illuminating. What nationality were the protesters? That's a good question. I, I bet they were all illegal immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't I bet see. They, mm. I, um, I only you know, see the backs of heads and signs and such. Right, right. So, you know, you're, you're free to believe whatever you want. I, I mean, there's some white people for, what, for whatever that's worth. But that's, I mean, you're, you're touching on an issue that's of, a, of large concern to a lot of people in this country. Mm. We're going to war. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, we're at war. We're at war. We're, we're, we're launching airstrikes against yeah. the Houthis in Yemen because the, the Houthis are attacking shipping lanes in the Red Sea to yeah, the point. Yeah. And we're right there with you. You know, the UK is yeah, yeah. right there with you. Yeah. Getting into it. Getting into it. I, I think it's a major mistake, but, you know. And, and yeah, like, it, it's, but it's one of those things. It's like, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a world leader. Well, <laughs> I should say. The rest of the world is glad I'm not a world leader. Because <laughs> I'd be yeah. like, where's that button? I'm pushing. I'm going to push that fucking button. <laughs> these, these bitches are going I just want to see it. I just want to see the red button. I'm not going to press it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, there it is. It's got that little <laughs> plexiglass glass box over the top of it <laughs> with the yeah. two keys. You know, the two keys that you got to three, two, one, turn so that it opens up. And, and that would really be, I mean, that other guy. That other guy is the one that would save the world from, from me, from me nuking everybody. Because, dude, the, the, like Shell Oil said, we're not shipping through the Red Sea anymore. And that's when the United States was like, oh, okay, well, we better. And, and the UK, I guess. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not yeah, yeah, credit, yeah. I mean, credit where it's due. <laughs> we're all I understand. I understand why they did what they did to the Houthis. I get it. But it does play into exactly what the Houthis wanted, which is they want the Houthis want to escalate this conflict and drag the West in. That's what they and, want. And they're doing it like on the at the behest of Iran, like the Houthis are Iran backed. Hamas is Iran backed. Right. Hezbollah, the same thing, Iran backed. And I don't know. I don't know what Iran is playing. I mean, they they. Clearly, Joe Biden is weak and ineffectual, mm-hmm. and I think personally, well, I mean, he's an old man. So what would his, I mean, just based on what you know of old folks, they would be content to just sit back and, and kind of relax and let it happen. And uh, is it really that urgent? It reminds me of this uh, bit by the comedian Louis C.K., how he says, <laughs> what is this? This is inappropriate, but this, this is the new uh, Earthbox podcast for, for 2024 moving forward. We're, we're being more controversial. <laughs> Louis C.K. says he would be more content with sitting and doing nothing than standing and fucking. Because that's just where his life has, has led him. And I get it, man. It's, it's hard. I mean, Louis C.K. is like, 55 or something like that to Joe Biden's uh, 111. <laughs> he just, he just wants to chill. 
and and rake pots. You know, he he wants to just get filthy rich, enrich his family. You know, that's mm. one thing that you can tell about Joe Biden is that his his he and his family are the mo- most important thing to him. So the Houthis can bombshell oil tankers going through the Red Sea and Joe Biden is content to just let his generals say, you know, yeah. uh, call, call the shots. Like, oh, we're going to team up with the Brits and go uh, wage a little bit of war. Of course, without the approval of Congress. That's just yeah, which the is same. so fucked. And it, we, we did the same thing here in the UK. We, they didn't get approval from Parliament. We're just like, we're going to do it. We got to protect. Dude, it's like politicians are just like the scapegoats for massive mm. corporations. I mean, not, not mm-hmm. to oversimplify the situation in the UK, but here in the States, it's painfully clear. The politicians were, were like, uh, at, at a certain point, the corporation said, uh, we, we need you politicians mm-hmm. to protect us from the repercussions of, of like a potential boycott. So we need you to take the brunt of the blame and we're going to use our media companies that we own to frame these issues as political issues Yeah, when we're really the ones that are pulling the strings, donating to your campaigns, threatening you with blackmail, et cetera. You know, it's, it's really interesting. It was, um, so it was Martin Luther King Jr day on monday probably not something you celebrate in the uk no we didn't have that guy over here right right so he was you know (laughs) civil rights leader uh his 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 greatest crime was trying to unify the people Mm -hmm. um you know because we can't have that because no no of course not it's infinitely easier for corporations and politicians to control politicians when they've got us all whacked up into our own little boxes you know straight white male gay black transgender uh dog it, yeah frog self i think was a word that i heard <laughs> a few months frog ago. self yeah just I, 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 that's me from now on yeah. i'm gonna you know put that on my fucking linkedin and i'm gonna be a turtle oh that's a good choice yeah, i like that i like turtles now i i called it <laughs> it's mine now damn it i or, wanted that one or a bat but one of the big ones that looks like a dog because those are kind of cute how did we get Dude, here? Oh yeah, I don't even know, bro. We're we're on a massive tangent. We we we. You were talking about Martin Luther King, and then we ended up at being a bat. Well, I've had <laughs> two in in the last forty five minutes. I've had two cups of coffee, and now I'm working on a cup of Earl Grey. So I'm feeling oh. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling revved up. Yeah, I got yeah, man. I, I, I got, got the energy coming my a way. Different kind. I've I got a different kind of heavy cream. And I don't oh, really, I don't, it's not very good, but no. fortunately I bought a massive fucking jug of it. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to drink it for the next <laughs> two oh, weeks. No. Isn't that always, is it not way? your, is it not your usual probiotic, super expensive shit that you get? Uh, well, so it's, uh, I want to say it's a half gallon. 
So like what? Yeah, like like two liters. It's like two liters. Um, and I got it because it was a couple bucks cheaper. The, the same. It's it's the same brand, but like a different mm-hmm. flavor. If that makes sense, it's it's all heavy cream, but there's like different levels of uh, yeah, like I understand fat content and and processing. So to get the same amount of my usual brand would have been like seventeen bucks, but I could get this other flavor for 15 bucks so i said all right you know i still like i didn't want to spend that much in general but it's not do you ever do you ever think um do you ever think about what heavy cream donald trump would would have uh you know you know what donald trump i don't think donald trump drinks coffee but i bet if he did he would probably do like non-fat milk Right. Uh, yeah, I guess just, he's got to watch his weight. He's about 77, isn't he, or something like that? Yeah, well, and it's, it, like, don't get me going into the diet conversation, because, <laughs> I mean, we can. I'm, I'm, I'm well-versed. Nah, we got, we got to talk about other shit, man. Well, MLK, that's, that's where I was, that's where I was. So I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking tea because I've already, I've had as much of that heavy cream as I can stand. And plus, Earl Grey's good shit. That's what. Oh, it is. Captain, Captain Picard drinks, which is why I love it. <laughs> you know, uh, that actor was born in the same place that I was born. Oh, snap. Do yeah. you guys see each other on holidays and shit? All the time. We see each other all the time. We have tea together, <laughs> you know, talk about the good old days. Oh, man. He would, he would be. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm to the point. You've, you've heard, no doubt, the cliches about never meeting your, like, don't meet your heroes. Because you you build up this picture of them in your own in your own mind, and then yeah 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 they inevitably can't. I would be like he's one of the guys that I would be really hesitant to meet because I hold him in such high regard because everything he does he does well, even when he's like doing the voice of of a character in an animated adult cartoon. Like wow, he's just amazing, and everybody of course says wonderful things about him but i would be too afraid that he would be like douchey and uh you know aloof and then i wouldn't be able to enjoy anything that he's done it's it's the same way for me with bands and and live music yeah um like there was this band from a million years ago called buck cherry this kind of an american rock band had a had a few mega hits and I got to see them live in concert one year, and it was terrible. They were terrible. No and it ruined their music for me forever. I haven't been able to enjoy their music since. I feel like if I saw a, if, you know, an actor that I admire, and they were shitty in person, I wouldn't be able to enjoy anything that they did yeah you won't be able to do it in their films anymore because you'd be just thinking about that one moment for the rest of your life have you ever have you met anyone famous that you admired oh yeah yeah plenty um and um to be fair i've been i've been pleasantly surprised with them um mostly music artists uh that i grew up listening to and now i sort of play and hang out alongside them which is kind of weird but, uh, you know, I met some really, really influential people in my life uh, last year in 2023. And some of the stories they had and their nature was just fantastic. You know, great conversations. 
and all around great people. So, you know, I'll do a short shout out to Flash Mob, the Italian guy. Fucking great dude. Not familiar. I mean, I think, I think Flash, who are they? What do they do? We need, we need to show the, we need to tell the yeah, audience. Yeah, so Fla Flash Mob is a, is a guy. He started doing Deep House maybe in the early 2010s. And that was when I was first getting into my music. And he came up with this track called Needing Me. It's a huge track now. And he's been playing out, you know, 10, 20 years now. And um, I didn't really know what he looked like, as well as I didn't really know what he was like. And I had the opportunity to meet him. And I've met him a few times now. And he's just this lovely Italian guy. He's got a family, lives over in Italy, plays out all over the world. And he used to be a lawyer and then decided to make music and got into that. And now he doesn't do any lawyer stuff he just does pure music it's just one of those classic you know sort of hollywood stories where he kind of made his dreams come true and he's the most humble guy and the most lovely guy and he always wants to help you out and always wants to you know um support you and he came onto my podcast uh, maybe june or something last year this is him we're jamming this a little. is it yeah yeah this is needing me we're jamming it ah uh, it's such a good track I gotta say this this stuff like I don't I'm I'm like in a, a a place in my life where like I'm I'm maxed out like I can't yeah I can't play new games I can't read new books <laughs> I can't even watch movies but when I when I first met you and I started listening to house music I was like yeah like I get because th there's things like a lot of rap music like I was listening to um, like I I really admire Lil Wayne. Because oh yeah, me too. He's um well first he seems just like a really great person. And and by the mm -hmm. way, like these personalities, they must know. Like, oh, I got to be cool to everyone I meet because I don't want to ruin their impression of me. You know, I I I don't want to make yes. you know like uh, an anti-fan because I was a jerk in my time. And by the way, that would completely be me. Uh, because sometimes I just, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a bad mood, but I would likely say if, if a fan came up to me and was like, Hey, Oh man, how you doing? I'd probably turn to them and be like, I'm grumpy <laughs> because I don't, I, I have no problem telling yeah. people what's going on in inside my brain. Clearly. But the most famous person that I met is the singer of a uh, really brutal heavy metal band called Mudvayne. And this is a little bit uh, from... Oh, yeah. Let's hear this. From probably their biggest, their, their biggest single. And I'm trying to manage the volume so it's not... I mean, I'm really not set up to be doing this well anyway. Yeah, just, just let her rip, baby. It's crazy shit. I wonder if we're going to get in trouble for playing this. <laughs> yeah. I just need to think about that. There's the guy. Sick. So, yeah. Heavy as balls. That's just... And, and that was, strangely enough, that was like one of those things that it took me a long time to get into because uh, it was just a, a roommate of mine, you know, like be best friend, top five. and. 
he loved like Mudvayne and Slipknot and you know Soulfly and real like really heavy, brutal metal music. Not my cup of tea at the time. I was like, the band Corn is a little bit too heavy for me. Wow, yeah, yeah, that's more like new metal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like you know, with a groove and some singing and and you know, like Mudvayne isn't that far departed right. from from that sort of style. But it wasn't for me. So do you like uh, Slipknot and Limp Bizkit and stuff like that? Yeah, occasionally. I mean, I'm kind of okay. over that now. Yeah. Like, being a composer and a producer has kind of turned me into a music snob, unfortunately. Oh, no. But that was kind of why, <laughs> like, that was why I brought up Lil Wayne. Because yeah. he seems like, like a... a genius he's really smart really articulate really well spoken yeah. very yeah. respectful and i was like man and and i i heard uh some of his his stuff from um i think the one of the the groups that he was in way back when was called young money and a uh, good friend of mine at the time we worked together he was a big fan and he would play it in the warehouse all the time and I was like, I was starting to get a vibe for it. Like, like this is pretty good stuff. And, and the same thing with Mudvayne. Like, my roommate just played it all the time. And I eventually began to identify things that I really enjoyed about that kind of music. And then it just got more and more. I started to appreciate it more and more. And then I started writing it more and more. But that's all kind of dropped off. Um, like, that style of music. Not Lil Wayne, though. Lil Wayne is still, you know. Yeah, he, he constantly reinvents himself. I think, well, he started out as a DJ, which I think helps a great deal because I think as any band or, or, or producer needs to have that in their back pocket, which is, you know, how do you entertain people? And Lil Wayne, I mean, he's just a fucking crazy party goer, essentially, and was a DJ and then started to make these hype tracks. And he's just been able to kind of stay with it and, you know, keep entertaining people as he goes. So he is a genius, really, on knowing what people are going to really like dance to and get into and, 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 and dance to in the club because he knows that that sells. So I woke up in bed, which is generally where you wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a good start to the day. <laughs> uh, <coughs> oh god! <laughs> as as opposed to where else, the fucking dumpster or like yeah, the cardboard the box outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, it was uh, a Saturday, or or it it may have been a Monday that I didn't have to go to work. And I don't know if I watched if I was watching YouTube Shorts or what, but I decided. I'm going to listen to some Lil Wayne and just try to get into it. You know, go the path of, of uh, you know, Mudvayne and Slipknot and, and even like some other hip hop artists like B.O.B., one of my favorites. And I couldn't do it, man. I listened to like three or four songs of like the top, you know, because if you go into Apple Music and you just put in the artist, it throws up like his top, you know, six or seven Mm -hmm. tracks you mm -hmm. can listen to them in sequence from mm. the most popular couldn't do it it wasn't doesn't mean i like lil wayne any less as a person i just couldn't get into the music and maybe if i was in like a contained environment where i just had to listen to it i could i could find the magic 
But I feel like the concept of like, like for heavy music more appropriately, I think it's just disappeared. And the stuff that's still coming out is very safe, very cookie cutter, kind of by the book, the right formula sort of thing that's all being pushed out by yeah, yeah, yeah. producers yeah. because I, I don't know why nobody wants to go in. Well, I know why nobody wants to go independent. It's because it's hard. It takes a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. But it's for it's, sure. But it's sort of weird because you see that in movies as well. Movies, you know, compared to the early two thousands and nineties, you know, early two thousand and nineties, both for music and movies, was such a transformational time, and there was so many more edgy projects going on. And now everything is so safe in entertainment. But at the same time, you have that death of the traditional entertainment model. We're going more to Spotify now. There's no CD sales anymore. So the audience has changed significantly the way you monetize what you're doing has changed significantly and, and i think that's changed the typical landscape of music where if you're listening to the radio well there's not gonna be any independent artists because they can't build a following very quickly on that kind of um platform so you're stuck with the you know virgin records and you're stuck with atlantic records that you know make these formulaic style pop songs that are semi-popular and then you forget about them yeah, there and there was a a time to um you know when when I was touring around and and playing nonstop a a close friend of mine uh this is his band Across the Sun they they actually landed a record deal and were going on national tour and I I've probably brought it up before but it was like for a time like every time they came back from tour a member of the band had quit and it, yeah <laughs> oh, no. it, it was like they said like i'm done i'm gonna finish out this tour and then they come back and announce like oh our our keyboardist is quitting the band because and and that's like i i think part of the reason of the death of just rock music and really great independent bands is at a certain point like you were talking about in the 90s in the 90s it was grunge you know nirvana yeah. and pearl yeah, jam yeah. and and the the record executives were going crazy going to shows like did you ever see that film uh be cool with john travolta i've not seen that film actually is it good it's it's like a low-key classic right. um but it's about, you know, he, this, this guy's just like, oh, I'm going to get into the, I'm going to get into the record business. And he's, he's going to shows and he's seeing independent acts and he's like, oh, I'm, you know, wheeling and dealing. Like I'm going to find the next Michael Jackson sort of attitude. And like, that was, but that was like peak mu uh, music industry, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. a, a band, an independent band, they have to go, they have to self-finance a tour. They have to make yeah, all yeah, their yeah. own connections, yeah. have to book all their own shows. And yeah. it's like an, an incredibly difficult undertaking. And I think. Yeah. And if they want to monetize their tracks, it's like, okay, instead of buying a CD for, let's say, 10, 15 quid, it's like, now nah, you can go to Spotify and, you know, people might listen maybe a thousand times and you'll get like one cent. 
yeah. or $1, whatever that is. And that is so little. It's so little compared to, you know, how much you could really leverage. You know, iTunes killed a little bit of that. But then after that, you know, Spotify just completely annihilated uh, the monetization of, of that music. So then all of the bands have to rely on making their money on tour. And then something like COVID rolls around and no concerts for a year. Yeah. And all those bands are gone. You know, like it, it's the bands that survived, like the, the independent bands, like even really great acts either fell apart or barely managed to keep going, you know, all had to go get day jobs, just, just a, a tragedy, but it's, it's primarily because of the gatekeepers, these, you know, record companies say, we need to see you basically like, we just want a piece. Like when you can prove to us that you're the next big thing, then, then we'll swoop in and we'll give you like a publishing deal or we'll sign you to a bad contract and we'll just take a piece of what you're getting, even though you don't really need us. Like they're still trying to pimp their clout of like, oh yeah, we, you know, we're, we're Columbia records or, you know, I like, I can't even Sony or whatever. Like I can't even think of, of who the most popular record label is anymore. And if oh, they don't, it's the big ones, you know, Virgin and Atlantic and Atlantic, Columbia yeah. and yeah, all those major ones. EMI, Virgin EMI is like the big one now. And the ones for, uh, it's like Sumerian and Epitaph and Metal Blade. Those are all like the, yeah, those the more cool, niche ones. Yeah. 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 Those are, those are the cool ones. Like if you're a touring metal <laughs> band, that's who you want to sign with. Yeah, and it's the same in house music. There's about four fucking billion record labels. You know, when someone says, oh, yeah, I'm going to start a record label, I'm like, okay, good luck. It's like <laughs> yeah. a thousand, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. They've already done it. You know, like one of the biggest ones in minimal at the moment is PIV, the Dutch label. And to be fair, everything that comes out of that label is hot shit. It's fucking amazing. And they do a great job. But, they, you know, it's just there'll be one label in a series of, you know, other labels that compete for the same space. Well, and like the, the producers and the engineers are, are the stars now. And, and like, if you're a talented musician, get into producing and engineering, mate, because that is going oh, to, sure. that's going to launch you. Like, then you can sit down at your laptop and record a pro quality product and you don't need anybody. No. No, you know, even if you get into mastering and you produce a few tracks, quite I've heard of lots of people that sell their their tracks to other artists that then go on to further produce them. You know, I lo I know lots of mastering acts that sell their you know beats and whatever for five grand each. You know, to a bigger artist, and then they go on and make that into a full size track. But you make a decent living doing that. That's all I want. I want that. Just just enough. Just, you know, 100K a year and I'll produce and compose and I'll, you know, I'll quit doing this offensive podcast. And no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't quit. <laughs> but one, one interesting thing. So I, I, I don't re remember what prompted me to do this is I looked up um, podcast charts. That, that's what I wanted to see how this podcast was doing, despite all the, you know, like the rumors that if Apple, for example, doesn't like your message. They just won't mm. submit your numbers. So you'll look 
you know, so you'll look unattractive to advertisers right. and you right, won't right. know. And, and, and like Netflix does the same thing to like their major comedians and independent filmmakers. Like they won't share the numbers so they don't know how much. I mean, it's pretty scummy practice, in my opinion. But I was I, I saw the, the article that I looked at was the top uh, top new podcasts of 2021. I was like, OK, this ought to be good. Nothing that I recognized, not a single thing that I recognized. What I did identify that I thought was interesting is 90% of all these top new podcasts, according to this website, were part of the Wondery Podcast Network. And if it wasn't the Wondery Podcast Network, it was some other network. And if it wasn't oh, really? that network, it was a third network. And I thought to myself, First of all, uh, Wondery must own this website that's publishing these results. (laughs) Yes, they're marking their own homework. Because how could every podcast on the Wondery Network be a top new podcast of of 2021 if that wasn't the case? You know, Wondery was buying some. Top new podcast, Wondery. Yeah, everything, top new podcast, everything on, on the Wondery Network. And I thought, what is the benefit of a podcast joining a network if for nothing else than to cut corners and to get pimped as a top new podcast for like why yeah, would somebody I mean, do that to be fair like you, you, they they handle a lot of the um relationship with the advertisers so they have a big advertising pool quite often with a network and you get access to their engineers and producers so they do to be fair take a lot of the sort of end legwork if you're looking to produce a podcast with a very sort of minimal um, impact to your own life. Like a good example would be The Rest is Politics. You know that podcast with Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart? Yeah. Well, they're part of the Goal Hanger network run by um, the guy that's in the Walker's Chris adverts that I've forgotten the name of. But if you Google it, you'll, you'll find out. <laughs> But, you know, you can imagine they're incredibly busy people. So all they do is they sit down with their mics, they talk a little bit, and then, you know, off it goes. And the advertisements are done by Goldhanger and the... Probably all the editing is done. Yeah, yeah, all the editing is handled by them. And then they get to do their day job. They get to do their thing and they just come in and, and they're the stars and then they go. So, you know, for that, for that, I understand that part. I think if you're a very small podcast, um, it, it kind of doesn't make sense because it ends up being a little bit like Machinima used to be back in the day in, in YouTube where you had to join a partner network to, you know, monetize on, on YouTube. It's not like that on podcasting. You can get by on your own. But once you get really professional, I think um, quite often you either get so big that you can afford to do it yourself or you value your time over something like that. And you don't mind giving up, you know, let's say up to 20% on 20, 30% on your revenue um, in order to save yourself a shitload of time, like editing and worrying about that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like just from this chair that I sit in right now, I, don't I just don't see the value from from where I'm at and and even from somebody like Adam Carolla who has I mean I don't I really don't know how many people he employs but I don't see his products as being exponentially better than this product in in terms of quality or editing I mean yeah, yeah. in 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 terms of like content and and professionalism I mean 
I've been doing this for three years and Adam no Carolla has been doing it for 30 years or, or better. And uh, it's, I mean, I slam this out there and it takes me 10 minutes. I mean, I, and I, but I don't even really like, like I listened to um, that, that interview about uh, fu- the uh, Fujitsu and the, and the horizon software with the crazy yes. post. And, and it's so heavily edited. Like as soon as I start yeah. listening, I'm like, Ugh, like where, where you can tell that there was a lot more conversation that happened and then they just cut it to right where the, you know, the, the interviewee starts answering the question. It's so dry and prepared sounding. I can't, it, it's yeah. really a big turnoff, but I mean, good information like this, this horizon Fujitsu thing is not like nobody in the United States cares about, about what is going on, but there's no, but like it's significant. It's a significant thing in the, it, that's happened in the Western world that, that, that's not, I would say happened really before and ended up with the outcomes that we've had today. It's a massive miscarriage of justice in, oh, yeah. in the UK. And, and I think, oh, yeah. I think people, I mean, may, maybe some people I know I did um, in the United States would think, Oh, miscarriage of justice in Britain. What a shocker. Because it's kind of the, the, at least the way the justice system in the UK is described to Americans, it's uh, sort of American justice turned on its head, where in America, you're innocent until proven guilty. And in Britain, you have to prove your innocence versus the prosecution having to prove your guilt in America. So how many people, let, well, let's tell us, Give us the lead. What happened? Okay, so back in the late 90s, the post office, which used to be the Royal Post Office owned by the Queen and everything, it was then privatized. But in the late 90s, they had a massive problem where they were serving 21 million customers a year uh, through mail. And they had to, they wanted to automate a lot of it as you would, as any company would like to bring on more IT. And so they did what any government does and did a tender. They went with the cheapest option, which was Fujitsu. And the way that they primed that was Fujitsu would build this new software for them absolutely for free. But in exchange, they would take a cut of all of the revenue um, that they got from people going in and swiping their social um, benefits cards. So that's the way that Fujitsu ended up making money. Anyways, down the road, um, this Horizon software that was looking after the entire post office, you know, tracking all the money in, money out, mail in, mail out, that sort of stuff. um, It was used as evidence in prosecuting postmasters and sub-postmasters, which are just people that look after the mail, in cases where they were prosecuted for stealing money, stealing mail, um, of which there were many successful prosecutions where people served jail time, other people were completely financially ruined from the uh, ensuing cases. I think at least one or two people even committed suicide because of this whole ordeal. And it was all based off this software, this Horizon software that Fujitsu made. Now, just quickly... 
Yes. These, these people, because this is one thing that eluded me and I had to kind of dig into more articles. Okay. When it was the Royal Post, and, and stop me if I'm wrong. When okay. it was the Royal Post Office owned by the Queen. Yes. The, 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 the postmasters were uh, appointees. Correct. And then, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, that was that was you know literally years and years and years and years, well, and years ago. The point is, after this, when when the post office became privatized, yeah, the the owners of these post office franchises mm-hmm. were like you know private citizens, yeah, f- you know, and, and and but they're referred to as the postmasters. That's not actually a political position. No, no, no. The, the, you know, a postmaster is a, it's, you know, there's thousands of them that look after. Yeah. Um, each, each post office has their own postmaster. Of and these, course. Of these course. postmasters think- were, were being accused of sort of operating in, in, you know, shady, shady ways. And that's yeah, why yeah. money went yeah. missing and mail went missing. And the government looks at these people and says, hey, what, what are you doing? You, you, you people are criminals. Yeah, they were accused of, you know, skimming off the top and, you know, this, that and the other. And anyways, there was a, a main guy, Alan Bates, who was sort of the spearhead of this movement to uncover the fact that basically this Horizon software that they've been using was broken. It had bugs and those bugs were giving out erroneous data that were then being used to prosecute people. So these people were being prosecuted many times in cases where they were completely innocent. Uh, Fuck. Which is just brutal because uh, you've taken away people's lives, you've taken away people's savings, you've taken away people's pensions, because of course a lot of their pensions got nullified because, you know, they were convicted. and now it's come out that they fucking knew all along. Going back how far? Oh, fucking years. They knew that the software had bugs. They even had legal advice tell them that they should not be using this as evidence in court. It should not be admissible. As well as they were worried, this is a, from the legal perspective, they were worried that some of the convictions that they had 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 been made in 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 error uh or in bad faith or whatever that you know the word is for it and now it's all come to a head because basically the government after this tv show came out that's on itv i haven't watched it but apparently it's been very influential and everyone's up in uproar about it people then canvassed the government to do a sort of exoneration for everyone the government has decided to do that. The government has decided to exonerate all these people as well as pay them compensation for that. Now, this is very important. Because they have done this, they have admitted guilt. They have admitted that something happened. And from now, it's, it's just going to get worse for them. They're screwed. Now, yeah, the truth has come out, and now the government is looking to recoup some of the funds from Fujitsu, of which I believe is a little bit bullshit, because it's really on the government. You know, Fujitsu didn't convict anyone, they just made a piece of shit software. You know, in my opinion, the liability is on Royal Mail, and is on the government. 
it's not on Fujitsu, you know, because they made a shitty piece of software to pay for the fact that Royal Mail and the government prosecuted and put people in jail and caused people to die and caused people to go to ruin. That was not what Fujitsu did. But Fujitsu are saying, you know, they're giving out all this information that they knew something was wrong and they knew this and they knew that and they gave evidence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're also saying that they're willing to um, give money to compensate some of these people that, that were victims. Well, there's... And I think that's, yeah, a, probably a PR move. I think if they don't, if they, if they don't give any money, they'll be fucked. There's going to be a big scramble because I, this article that I was telling you a little bit about off mic from yeah. TechCrunch came mm-hmm. out on the 10th before the inquiry began. Right. Because there's an inquiry gr- uh, going on now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It but, was set up very, very quickly. Um, from this article, halfway through or so, Despite all the furor in recent years, the government awarded 107 contracts worth 4.5 billion pounds to Fujitsu between January 2020, after a UK court had already conveyed its misgivings over Fujitsu. Why why is this hard? Fujitsu's. Fujitsu. Maybe I got to say it with a Japanese accent. (laughs) Fujitsu. And the anime. (laughs) $4.5 billion in contracts to Fujitsu in the last three years, according to data provided to TechCrunch by public sector market intelligence company Tussle. The most recent contract was for a Northern Ireland education authority, which inked a 485 million pound deal just three weeks ago for Fujitsu to support a new school management system. So that's very suspicious. Why, with all of these, I mean, is this part of the cover-up? Like, oh, nothing's wrong here. Nothing's wrong. Keep going. You, were they concerned that Fujitsu was going to sound the alarm? No. I, I, in fact, I thought, I think that Fujitsu had already sounded the alarm. They, you know, the post office knew very early on and they didn't make, they didn't try to hide it. They knew that there were bugs and errors in the Horizon accountancy software um, very, very early on. And they voiced that and even voiced that in court proceedings. Um, the real problem is that the government acted upon that data and then tried to cover it up. The Royal Mail covered it up. The cover let, up is in government. They let innocent um, people go to jail to cover exactly, up for, I mean. It, exactly. Fujitsu, all Fujitsu does is Fujitsu is the lowest bidder on government bids and they make shitty software. That's all Fujitsu does. As you can expect when you. Buy the cheapest thing. I tell my wife all the time, never right. buy the cheapest thing. Buy right. the second or third cheapest thing, but never buy the cheapest thing. Right. So you can, you can imagine it's like, well, the government didn't do their due diligence in selecting the tender. They chose the cheapest because they always choose the cheapest. Fujitsu makes a shitty product because it's the cheapest. And then the government then prosecutes a shitload of people based on that shitty software but is default on fujitsu i don't think so one of the things at all one of the things i found to be really telling is that this this tv show uh mr bates versus the post office Mm, yeah had to come out i mean this this has been going on since like you said late 90s 1999 oh yeah fucking ages and a tv show comes out 
about the issue and suddenly everybody cares. This article from the BBC. The impact of a hit TV show has always been difficult to define. Should it be judged on viewership? The critics' response to it? Or how many awards it wins? What about how often it's been memed? Or the themes that resonated with social media (laughs) users? This month, a UK TV show went far beyond all of this when a dramatization of a real-life British scandal was so effective in portraying a lesser-known miscarriage of justice to the public that in just a week, it moved more than a million people to sign a petition calling for justice for the accused and prompted the British government to announce a new law. This was the same thing that happened with that Making a Murderer documentary that we talked about a few episodes ago. Nobody gave a shit until they made a TV show. And then the public was like, what, what, what? This is going on. And what, what is the media's responsibility in this? Like, how has it been going on since 1999 and nobody really knows about it? until the inquiry begins and the inquiry doesn't begin until this TV show. Like, yeah, I think it's so interesting because that, that alludes to the level of cover up that the post office went to. And this is not the only, uh, sort of scandal that the post office has had over the years. Fuck me. That, that company has had so many scandals over the years. Um, it's really rotten to the core, uh, to be fair. But I'm just looking at these numbers. They prosecuted 900 so sub-postmasters and postmistresses uh, based on that software. 900. And what, were their Only, def- what was their defense? I, well, I their defense was probably that they didn't fucking do it. Yeah. But of course, they don't have any evidence because their evidence would have been the accountancy software in their branch. That showed that they were actually, you know, guilty. Yeah, so like, what evidence do you have? Oh, I didn't steal that. That's the only thing you can say. Oh, I didn't steal that. And the, the, the judge is going to look at the software and go, well, the software says you did. Um, and that's and an interesting... Office, I mean, I guess it, it's more interesting lately. Not going back to 1999, but the yeah. Of blaming the programming. Like when in in 2020, when all the conservative pundits and personalities were getting banned on social media and having their, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. their apps canceled, etc. For a lot of people, they would go to Twitter, you know, Jack Dorsey's Twitter, and say, Hey Jack, what the fuck? And the response would just be like, Oh, whoops. It was uh it was just the algorithm. It was our automated banning bots right. that saw right. that you said something. You said something about killing and it just banned you. But then the controversy was stirred up because it was strangely only happening to a certain group of people. For yeah. some strange yeah. reason, the algorithm was only identifying these. I mean, if, if the software was faulty, They had to at some point go, okay, we're seeing the same issues arising with all of these people working the same job in the same industry using this same software. And the the common sense response from UK justice was, boy, we (laughs) postmasters must just be real fucking scumbags. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, literally. And that's like... (laughs) 
I mean, like, I'd, lo I'd love it for them to even know that much. They were told by Fujitsu that the, the software had errors. They were told by their legal department that they shouldn't be using this in evidence anymore. And then they stopped. And after they stopped knowing that they convicted people based on this shitty-ass fucking software, they did nothing to acquit the people they had already convicted. Because they didn't want to be sued for, for wrongful prosecution? Absolutely. And they didn't, Absolutely. they didn't want to get thrown out of office for financing and continuing to finance this, this terrible software from this terrible software company? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable because, you know, at least in somewhere like Twitter, you know, Twitter's content moderation algorithm or even something like Google's moderation algorithm is so fucking complicated. Okay, so I can I can understand at least a modicum where you can say, I don't really understand how that happened. I'm going to look into that and, you know, we'll make sure that people like you don't get banned anymore. Maybe there's some kind of NLP problem or AI problem or machine learning problem that they've, that they've got. You know, those algorithms are really complicated. Something sure. like this is a very old, very basic piece of software. All it does is just track fucking numbers. You know, this is something that your phone could do easily. It's, it's probably just a really, really complicated version of an Excel spreadsheet, if we're being honest. So the fact that this is fucked up so badly is not even, like, even defensible it, all it's doing is just tracking a few numbers it's not predicting shit in the future it's not it's not doing forecasting in the past it's just doing normal it's just doing normal accountancy stuff tracking in tracking out recording who does what and they've, all, they've managed to fuck that yeah yeah it's quick this is the thing it's quickbooks you know if there's a problem with quickbooks it's like oh you know you've you've put a piece of data in the wrong place, we'll fix that. It's fairly simple, you know, compared to like something like Twitter where you say like, why was I banned? Well, there could be about 50 million reasons why you were banned um, because it's a, it's a giant algorithm that runs that. This is so fucking simple, which it makes it even worse, way worse, because this means it was so avoidable. If, they had, if the government had forced Fujitsu to fix the problems, if the government had forced the Fujitsu to do the right thing, and if they had realized that their buggy, shitty-ass software, they shouldn't have relied on it as evidence in court. No, of course not. So now are all of these people, go, are, have they all been released? Are they all being released? I think the plan is for them to be exonerated, yes, and to be compensated oh, right, now. They probably didn't have to go away for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if any of them are still... Some of them might be still in prison. I don't think any of them are in prison anymore. I know one of them served five years in prison. So what do you, what uh, is the path? What is the path to justice for these people, do you think? Well, you know, this, this, this stinks of class action, doesn't it, really? Yeah. You know, you got, you got 900 people. Um, the government are probably going to run some kind of compensation scheme that directly runs with them because I think that's probably quicker for them to put this to bed. And then I expect what they'll do is, okay, they'll exonerate everyone. They'll come up with some, the, the lawyers between the main activist group of the 900 people will negotiate a settlement with the government. Probably not in a court. They'll probably do that in mediation just because it's quicker. 
And then from there, once that's all done, everyone's happy ish, <laughs> uh, then the government will probably then take Fujitsu to court and try to get some money off them unless they can come to some kind of settlement agreement themselves. What do you think? Do you think uh, Fujitsu is, is responsible? Why, why do you think Fujitsu didn't go to the press themselves? It's not their fucking job. Sure. It's, it's, it's not their job. If, you know, if I, if I make, you know, I, you know, I used to make websites, right? I yeah. make a website. Maybe there's an error in it. I never hear about it. I, maybe I knew there was an error in it, but, you know, I'm, I'm not getting paid. Why am I going to go back and fucking fix that? You know, someone finds out down the road that, like, yo, I used that website and, like, committed, you know, some, someone committed a crime. I'm like, well, the liability's not on me. It's your website that you own at your business. The liability's on you, not on me. I assume no liability for that. So, you know, I don't think Fujitsu is culpable for the actions of other people. Um, but who was I it that believe... identified, who, who was it that found the bug I- initially? Well, I think, well, Fujitsu found the bugs. Okay. Um, they knew about the bugs, um, but the post office had no real intention of paying them any more money to fix it. And I think Alan Bates uncovered that evidence. So then what part, you know, formed part of the uh, investigation. What I'm getting at mm-hmm. is if I were Fujitsu or a Fujitsu lawyer, yeah. I'm looking at this bug and going, oh, there's this bug. And I'm looking at the post office's reaction to the bug mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and going, this, not only is this not right, but this could come back on us if we let the UK government continue railroading these people because of this bug. Yeah. And it looks like that's what's happening right now. Now, maybe Fujitsu said, oh, we don't want to advertise that we gave this really fucked up. We sold this really fucked up software to all of these postmasters. And now the UK government is railroading these people because of this bug. Like a little foresight should have told them and their lawyers when these people realize that they're being railroaded and they go after the government, the government's mm. going to come after us. So, you know, like damage control, try to deflect and say no. I mean, maybe is, is that Fujitsu's way out of the whole thing? Like, no, we told you that this was a problem and you chose to disregard it and further railroad these people. I mean, do you think Fujitsu's going to pay or do you think they're going to get out of it no i think fujitsu is going to pay uh i think fujitsu is going to pay for two major reasons even though they technically legally probably don't have to um one i think they want this to go away and the easiest way to do that is just to pay and they Um, probably want also i'm sorry if i'm taking your second uh your second point but they probably want to also 
maintain their government contracts is do they have that's it, yeah that's that's exactly yeah that's exactly what i was going to say as well they want to maintain that relationship with the government so that they can do more more work down the road of which i think they will do they'll continue to make shitty software for <laughs> other governments around the world just because they're the cheapest around you know people say pe people forget about it they're like oh that should have happened oh yeah that's terrible oh you're gonna charge no money and only charge for you know the you know, you know, a license fee or something. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I mean, there's definitely some stuff that Fujitsu didn't say and should have said at the time. You know, for example, that they didn't tell the post office that remote access to the sub postmasters' um, records was was available. That was something that they should have let them know. They explicitly said that only the sub postmaster could access that data, uh, which is wrong. Uh, so there are some things. That, do you, uh, do they you think they said. do you think they colluded? Um, I don't believe that they colluded for the main reason that I don't see where that benefits Fujitsu for them to collude because they don't get any financial incentive from doing these prosecutions. You know, they don't they don't get a kickback. If anything, it hurts them. There's less, you know, post offices around swiping benefits cards or whatever. Uh, number two, it's just bad publicity for them. You know, if people are getting caught doing fraud with their software, I I just don't see where it benefits Fujitsu at all. Is there is there a scenario where, like you mentioned, this one person went went to jail for five years? Is yeah. there is there a version where these people were actually embezzling and then blaming Pro it on the software? I mean, possibly. Possibly, yes. Possibly, that's very that's very true. The problem we have now is there's no way to tell who was and who wasn't. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting that this comes twenty years later, twenty four, twenty five years right, later. Right, right, right. But it's all tax dollars. Like that's that's the thing that disgusts me the most. It's all tax dollars. It's yeah. all it's all your money, man. They they bought this trash software with your money mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. they took all of these people to court with your money and then mm -hmm. they locked all of these people up with your money and yep. then they continued to buy more products from Fujitsu with your money. And then they're going right. to, now they're going to pay out all of these wrongful con uh, 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 prosecution settlements with your money. Right. And then they'll try to get a little bit of your money back from Fujitsu because of this right. thing. But even if it doesn't, it appears in a way that they will continue to buy more shitty Fujitsu products with your money. And Fujitsu is yeah. not a sponsor of this podcast. And it, and it just uh, it just alludes to the wider problem about the way that our government interacts with the private sector. You know, one of the major problems we have is that there's basically no recourse for companies that work with the government. For example, maintenance of prisons. So usually, and I know Rory Stewart talked about this on the, on the latest on their latest podcast, but I want to bring it up because it's really important. Maintaining prisons, about the time, whatever it was, about 140 million a year. That's what it was costing the government. They do a private tender to say, hey, look, you know, we want to give, give this to the private sector. Someone comes in and just massively underbids it, you know, 40 million or something. 
what ends up happening is they you know pay 40 million wow that's an amazing one the prisons aren't being maintained the company says well yeah because you're only paying us 40 million then the company tries to recoup some of that they have to take it over paying 140 million anyways then that business just claims bankruptcy and you can't get anything from them you know so that it's just a the company has basically you know no accountability they can do whatever they want they can do a shit service they can siphon off a bit of money and then worse comes to worse they could just claim bankruptcy because they know that the government has to step in anyways because what are they going to do just not let prisons be maintained of course they're not going to do that and it's the same in the waters that we have here in the uk now the water companies they just fucking they don't maintain anything they let the sewage go into the rivers because they know that if their company goes bankrupt the government's going to step in and take it over and make sure the water stays on so people can fucking drink and shower and bath and you know heat up their homes so our relationship with the private sector is really poor i'd imagine in some ways it's pretty similar in the US. I can imagine some of the US private tenders are 100%. fucking horrifying, horrifying. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, th- th- I love the private sector and I think that the private sector has a really good place in some, pla- in some areas. But I do believe that the private sector falls down significantly when you have monopolized environments around energy, around water, around prisons. I just don't believe that these are the right environments for the private sector to take on because you essentially have a monopoly of which there's no accountability for their actions so yeah they can get they can go bankrupt and in in the uk situation they can have the you know the state come and and take it over and then they can go start a new company right and this is what happens with like enron was and which i know nothing about i mean i the most I know about Enron is uh, because of watching that movie Fun with Dick and Jane. Oh, yeah. The few paragraphs that they put about the Enron execs that actually went to prison because of the shenanigans that they pulled. That's like mm-hmm. the extent. I mean, and however many years ago, 20 years ago or more that was. And that's the most accountability that the American public has ever gotten from these corrupt private companies that operate with impunity because they pay millions and billions into the coffers of the politicians. And that's why I wonder, like, was Fujitsu and the UK government colluding over this bug in trying to keep it quiet? They say, hey, the the UK government says to Fujitsu, hey, so you fucked this up for us. But if you just keep it quiet, we'll keep giving you contracts and we'll make this whole thing go away. We can keep getting reelected. You can keep getting government contracts and we'll just completely fuck over 900 people along the way. It's no different than what yeah. happens in, in the United States. But the, yeah. the, biggest travesty is that nobody in the media talks about it except for us and here we are visit here we are visit after a a tv show you know yeah yeah and i was just plugging your website (laughs) vox404.com uh was masterfully uh crafted by my (laughs) co-host and uh the place that you go to find this podcast on your favorite 
podcast platform. So please subscribe and share it with everyone, uh, anyone you think might like it, and especially everyone you think wouldn't like it. Mm. Follow, uh, follow us on X, FKA Twitter, at EarthVox for myself slash the podcast, at 404 missing underscore link for my co-host. And, you know, I just want to take a minute because I was thinking about these gatekeepers and these podcast networks, and I want none of it. I would start my own. I mean, unless I knew, unless it was somebody like Adam Carolla or Tim Poole or somebody that was very, uh, that prided themselves on independence and not somebody that would try to craft the content or shut down certain perspectives. But that means that there's really no, there's no overlords. There's no quality control. And I want you, the listener, to be my quality control. So if you're listening to a podcast mm. and, it lo- and, and it doesn't hold your attention, then, then stop. Shut it off and just do me this one favor. Send me an email. And tell me what it was about it that you didn't care for. Tell, oh, me, cool. tell me what you thought was boring. Tell me what, you know, and, and my opinions will remain my opinions. My foul mouth will remain my foul mouth. My <laughs> racist, misogynistic opinions will remain my own. <laughs> but I still want to hear from you. I still want to know what you like because, that, I mean, that's why... That's why I do this. I want to make a great product. And by definition, it's not a great product if you don't like it and you don't want to listen to it. So that email is therealearthvox at protonmail.com. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're both avid podcast listeners as well. So um, it's always good to get great feedback so we can make this as, as good as possible. And I... And I really, really liked our last episode. I thought it was really fantastic. And this latest spate of episodes we've done, I believe, is some of our finest work. And I think I've really enjoyed this episode. I've had really good energy. And you've had loads of uh, heavy cream, so you're on point today. (laughs) Um, So I really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, I hope to see you in the chart sometime. We'll talk to you soon.